This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, I'm on. Okay. So I was getting ready for this week, and let's just be real. I'm kind of undone. Uh, I was in the room this morning with Trish, and she said, what part do you feel unprepared for right now? And I said, the part that goes from 9.07 to about 9.42, that's going to be a little sketchy. And we've had some stuff going on this week. Good stuff, bad stuff, busy stuff. Um, As you may know, we adopted Remy last Tuesday. I guess, does this count as last Tuesday or the Tuesday before? It was then. Um, So she is now Remy Joy McGarvey. And that is a blessing to us. And we were having a good time around the table this morning. Um, And then... One of our sons is in counseling, and that's hard. Uh, and then I work at a job where I was going to spend a bulk of yesterday preparing this lesson. Just you know, I'd been in the Word, letting it marinate, let it soak, put all the concepts together yesterday. And at 4:55, the phone rang, and it was one of my charge nurses, and she wasn't going to make it to work. So there I was at work again. In the past four weeks, I've had Memorial Day off. Yeah, I've had Memorial Day off in the past four weeks, so there you go. But um, one of the things, it was a delight to sit down with Bill Brandenburg in counseling. And uh, he said, you know, the Christian life is not just hard. It's impossible. So my job, though, is obedience to God. He said, if you're looking for control... Control is an illusion. There is one who is in control, but it's not me. To illustrate that point, uh, well, just listen on the text. But when it comes down to it, when I, I want to have some finesse and polish and have everybody engaged and have something exciting and entertaining and maybe gifts. And, and when it comes down to it, The word here, if you take anything away from this today, is just, it's all about Jesus. Focus on that. Let's read the word. Colossians 1, 1 through 23. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So the two of them together. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. 
For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being truth fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. And who's he? Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. And here come the ands. Firstborn of all, over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and, but wait, there's more, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. And we talked about reconciliation last week, where God is... Exchanging my separated relationship with him with a peaceful relationship with him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that is, note that today, finished work of Jesus Christ. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, and he's not talking about things under the earth we talked about having made peace through the blood of his cross. Because as Hebrews 9.22 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And he was the perfect sacrifice, he being Jesus. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present or stand beside, to exhibit something that he's proud of bringing you before the Father. To present you holy, our relationship with God, and blameless, our relationship with others, and above reproach, and that's that concept of some heinous thing is thought about in the world, and it's like, what? No, that, that person would never do that. That's not possible. That's just physically not possible. That's the above reproach in his sight. If indeed, and that's in a, a given sense, so of course this is, you would continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this section of the text is the sacrificial service for Christ, and it's probably not going to be high in the list from, say, Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar Some of these others who are looking to make money off the gospel, Paul was not doing that, nor should we. 
He writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And Jim had handed me a text, turned me on to John Piper this week. And uh, the focus of the text is largely in verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking the afflictions of Christ. And I'm, I was looking at that verse, trying to figure that thing out. You know, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? But the way he presented it kind of started from the back end of it, verse 29 building back to verse 24. And I think let's follow that a little bit and see if we can't get a little bit more out of this text. So verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So here's Paul, and he's got a purpose for which he labors, to this end that he labors. So, and it's not with his own strength, but that of Christ working with him, within him. And this week especially, I'm like, yeah, it's not in my own strength. There's no way. I, I don't got this. He's got this. I don't got this. Um, you know, when you look at your own situation, you feel how worn down and you feel beat down by things in life. Those are not the things that we're to focus on, and that is not what Paul is focusing on here at all. He, of all, could be champion of, let me tell you what bad thing happened to me on the way to work today. This is Paul. This is this is. Captain Shipwreck, Captain Beating, Captain, Captain 39 Lashes times 5. So I think we can, can hear his words on this subject here. Him we preach. So who's him? Jesus. So verse 29, 28, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is first. Uh, the phrase warning and teaching here in the Greek, let me try this, nuthatunes, uh, it's from nuthateo, it's uh, the Greek, and it's, it's used only twice in the Bible, actually, and uh, the second time is in Colossians 3.16, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, that's that nuthateos, uh, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So this admonishing, this it's got this urgency to it. And Paul's like, I'm teaching, yes, but I'm not just throwing out concepts. This is life-changing stuff. This is, you can feel it in his gut where he's just, I want you to not just know this, but to understand, to really to live and to have it change your every fiber. So there's that urgency to impart understanding and influence not only the intellect, 
but also the will and disposition. This is a game changer. This is the gospel for which Paul suffers. And it's to who? Who does the verse say it's to? Warning, so it's him we preach, it's Jesus, but who is it to? It's to every man. And it says it three times. Warning every man and teaching every man and that we represent every man. So I think he means every. Um, there's another Greek word for this and it would be all. Uh, so I think we know that all means all and that's all all means. So it's all. It's every. He was bringing the word to all. And he wasn't just bringing his words. If you see there toward the end of the verse, he's saying that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Not in the teachings of Paul or in the teachings of Apollos. It's in Christ Jesus. Jesus is first. Jesus is all that matters. So what is the message that he's bringing? We look at verse 26 and 27. It says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which, or who, in some translations, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now the term mystery here is not speaking of some kind of riddle that man's knowledge can figure it out, and it's, yeah, it's, you know, we get these clues, we'll put them together, uh, be like, National Treasure, Book of Secrets, something like that. You know, they've left these clues and we're, you know, somebody knew that. Some other person knew all the details of this and they're just giving us clues to find out. That's a riddle. This is completely different. This is a mystery. This is something where God says, not now. I'm going to tell you about it. But not now. It's not the time. And I'm going to reveal it at the right time. So all through the Old Testament, you have these types and shadows of Jesus coming. And you see, looking back, especially where, yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. But they didn't have a hard picture in their mind. This is what it is. This is, you know, exactly how it's going to be. Because God had not revealed it. So that man couldn't say, well, we just figured it out. This is a God thing. This is well above man's intellect, man's abilities. So it's revelation rather than intuition. It's something that's been hidden and looked forward to and crafted and planned and orchestrated and put together with love by God for us, for all of us who believe. So what is the mystery, or rather than who? It's Christ Jesus has come to dwell in both the Jew and the Gentile, and he's bringing them together in one body, which is the church. Of which Paul is a minister, verse 25, according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul was given a job by God to spread God's word to all, not just the Jews, 
the Gentiles as well, to all. So what are the afflictions of Christ in verse 24? So we get back to that. It's like, okay, the afflictions, and this is, you know, there's something undone here. There's something lacking. Uh, you know, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up or complete is, you could insert that for fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Let's start out by saying what it is not. So the afflictions of Christ are not his redemptive work on the cross. Those are not his afflictions. That work on the cross is a complete and perfect work and it lacks nothing. So turning to Guzik, he, he says, the word afflictions is never used for the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Most commentators see this as a reference to the affliction Jesus endured in ministry. These afflictions are not yet complete. And in this sense, Jesus still suffers as he ministers through his people. And I was like, okay, let's flesh that out a little bit more. So I went to an even newer reference with Matthew Henry. Or back, way, way back, Matthew Henry. Uh, Both the sufferings of the head and of the members are called the sufferings of Christ and make up, as it were, one body of sufferings. But he, Jesus, suffered for the redemption of the church. We suffer on other accounts, for we do but slightly taste that cup of afflictions of which Christ first drank deeply. A Christian may be said to fill up that which remains of the suffering of Christ when he takes up his cross, and after the pattern of Christ bears patiently the afflictions God allots to him. John Wesley, then, he was speaking on Matthew Henry. So, and I think I did this last time. It's like, here's a reference. Here's the guy that spoke about it. And here's this guy speaking about this guy that's speaking about this guy. And here I am reading to you this guy about this guy about this guy about that. Welcome back. So, John Wesley, that which remains to be suffered by his members, by the members of the body of Christ, these are termed the sufferings of Christ. One, because the suffering of any member is the suffering of the whole. When we hear that your daughter is in a place where there's no clean water, we all suffer. When someone is fighting through cancer in the body, we suffer. So, and Christ suffers with us. He knows things are to come. He knows things that are to come into our lives that are going to cause us pain. And they're for a purpose. But he knows they're coming. And he's going through them with us. So that suffering is not done. These are the afflictions. Suffering of any member is the suffering of the whole, and the head especially, which supplies strength, spirit, sense, and motion to all. And two, because they are for his sake, for the testimony of his truth. And these also are necessary for the church, not to reconcile it to God, That work's done. Or to satisfy for sin. For that, Christ did perfectly. But for example to others, perfecting the saints and increasing their reward. So what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? And that was where we got to John Piper. It says, Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and dying for sinners. It is full and lacking in nothing except one thing. A personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world and the people of your workplace. 
God's answer to this lack is to call people of Christ, people like Paul, to present the afflictions of Christ to the world, to carry them from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It's not just something that you hear about, you read about. You, although God's word is, is living and it goes out and it doesn't come back void and there's power in his word, but it's not just the written word, the spoken word. It's the active word that lives in us that we go and we do and we bring. That's the part where we fill the need. That's the part where we fill what's lacking is going into individuals' lives, living the love that Christ has commanded us to live. We are to, t- to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience and offering him to them. And living the love, the life of love that he lived. So in Mark 8.35 it says, Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. Piper writes, The pathway of salvation is the pathway of losing one's life for the sake of the gospel. The point is that taking the gospel to people across the office or across the ocean ordinarily requires sacrifice and suffering, a losing of life or denying of self. This is the way Christ means for his saving sufferings to be taken to the world through the sufferings of his people. Oh good, we're called to suffer. Oh good, we're going to be rejected. Oh good, people are going to spit in our face. They're going to call us hypocrites. Oh, joy. Actually, that's what Paul's saying. Oh, joy. Like, go, Paul. So, suffering for the sake of spreading the gospel. Paul knew these afflictions well. We talked about it a little bit ago beatings, 39 lashes, shipwreck, stoning, weariness, imprisonment. Uh, he wrote Colossians while he was in jail, infirmities, and this thorn in the flesh that we've hypothesized and theorized, what exactly is that thorn in the flesh? But he was given all these things, sufferings, that he could then, in a small measure, of course, and he realized this and he wrote about that, he said, I am in no way sharing in all the sufferings of Christ, the complete sufferings that Christ suffered, but it's a picture. And here's this beaten down man whose body is hunched over probably, scarred. 39 lashes don't just go away. They leave scars. They leave marks. And he's able to say in all that, I rejoice in these sufferings because it's a tool that he uses to draw people to Christ. It's his business card that can't be taken from him. I have a business card, and it says DCI, and it says nurse manager, and it has my contact information, and it draws people to be able to get in contact with me. Paul's business card draws people to Jesus. They don't just hear about this man who suffered. They see this man who suffers on their behalf to get the message of the one who suffered the most to them. That's not just somebody standing up there in a suit saying, you come to Jesus and your life will be changed. This is a man 
who knew what it was to suffer and chose to continue to suffer, whatever the cost was, whether he be beaten again, whether he be thrown in jail again. There's a message that just somebody's going to want to hear. What, what is it that you're, what is it you find that's so important about this message that you would go through all this just to bring it to me? That gets people's attention. And that's why Paul's rejoicing, because he knows that through those sufferings, the message of Christ is going to go out. Did he see exactly the type of shadow of somebody standing here reading his books to people thousands of years later? No. But he felt the joy in that moment, knowing that for just even one person, that was going to be the message of Christ getting into their life. And that was the joy that he lived in. That's why he could rejoice. Just give an example of how real. And I'm sure that you can look at the testimony of somebody in your life that you will never forget the power of the gospel of Christ because of this person and what they suffered. But here's one that Piper shared, and it's the story of a Messiah warrior named Joseph. He said, one of the least likely men to attend the itinerant evangelist conference in Amsterdam sponsored by the Billy Graham Association was a Messiah warrior named Joseph. But his story won him a hearing with Dr. Graham himself. And the story is told by Michael Card. One day, Joseph, who was walking along one of these hot, dry, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share the same good news with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross, the suffering of Jesus, and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a waterhole and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from the people he had known all his life. He decided he, he must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you may find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men in the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph woke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the, the small village, and this time, they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. 
as they flogged him for the third and probably the last time. He again spoke to them of Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing that he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. So there's one vivid example of what Paul meant when he said, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. There's something profoundly freeing and stabilizing to know that Christ calls us to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. It stabilizes us from being thrown off guard when it comes. And it frees us to choose it when love beckons us. So you see how Paul's suffering, and here's the suffering of Messiah warrior, who were willing to go back and go back and go back because they realize, they know, they know the truth, the power of the message of the gospel and really how it saves lives. And it just convicted me. What am I willing to go through? What am I willing to suffer? To know that somebody else is going to find out about Jesus. Am I willing to go through that? And it was very convicting. And it still is. What is the message of Jesus? He's the son of God who came to earth, born in a stable. He walked our pain. He was despised and rejected, beaten and scorned. And he died the most horrific death on the cross in our place for our redemption. And he offers himself to all who would believe on him and call on him to be saved. So what do I do with that? Well, we're going to go straight to personalize, which would be share Jesus. And the second part of that, what do I do? Admonish one another. Encourage, urge each other. Tell each other, yeah, you might be unpopular. It's kind of a first world problem. There are things far worse that can happen. Lose a job, still kind of first world. Be killed, okay, that applies across the board to all. But the sufferings are there, and and Christ suffers with us. He goes through it with us, and that's the promise, and we have each other. So admonish one another, encourage each other, pray for each other. And as it's time, I'd like to pray for us all now. Let's pray. God, as you gave the words to Paul in Colossians, I pray that these, my brothers and sisters, would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, 
that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing you, God, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in your knowledge and the knowledge of you. Strengthen with all might according to your glorious power, Lord, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to you, God, who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <music> you.